So, the last few weeks I've come on pretty heavy. <laughs> and so, that was because Jesus was speaking pretty heavy. So he spoke on things like he was the only way to God the Father. He was the only way to be reconciled in right relationship with God. Pretty heavy as he spoke that to us. As we thought, of, there's no other way to salvation but through Jesus. That means any other faith, any other religion that opposes that viewpoint is opposing Jesus. Pretty heavy. We had a heavy week that week. Last week we spoke on the fact that Jesus was hated. And if you stand with Jesus, you're going to be hated. Pretty heavy, right? Things that can bring you and make you very sorrowful. And so when I hear that Jesus is all the only way, I have two responses. My one response is, thank you, Jesus, for your grace towards me. I should be rejoicing. My whole life should be an act of worship. I rejoice in that. But part of me grieves and part of me has much sorrow because I have many family and many fr friends who have rejected Jesus and his person and his work and rejected him as God and as Savior. So I feel the joy of putting my faith in Jesus and God made a way and I rejoice in that. And I live my life following Jesus and glorify him. I feel the weight that I have family and friends who do not believe in Jesus. That's, that's heavy stuff, right? We talked about the fact that Jesus was hated and that we will be hated if we stand with Jesus and stand with the conviction of Jesus. So it's a heavy thing that the Son of God was born into this world fully God and fully man and that we murdered him. That's heavy. And it's even heavier to think of the fact that if we follow Jesus and we live our lives of according to the convictions that he taught us, that we will be hated also, that we will be disliked. As I was in home group with a few this week. We talked about, after I preached on Sunday, about being persecuted and hated for standing with Jesus, that many of you got persecuted that week as far as, when I say persecution, they didn't line you up and flog you. <laughs> People called you ignorant, right? That's what they do about Christians who stand with Jesus now, especially in very... Um, morally liberal area that we live in, if you stand with sexual holiness or you fight for the life of unborn children and you stand with those convictions, all of a sudden people look at you and they say, you're ignorant. You're ignorant, you're not progressive, you're small-minded. And you say, listen, these aren't gray areas. Jesus told me to live like this. So these are heavy things we're talking about here. disciples have been hearing these heavy things. We have been hearing these heavy things. So you think that Jesus would be saying these things just for us to live in sorrow. But what he keeps saying at the end of the scripture is, I'm saying these things for you so that your joy may be complete. How can that happen, right? I'm telling you guys these things so you'll have joy. Let me tell you something, Jesus. The fact that the world's going to hate me, that doesn't bring me much joy. My wife went through some this week where she felt you know, ridiculed a little for her faith. And I said, good, you live in the, you live in the message. And she said, I don't like it though. <laughs> you know, none of us like to be disliked. None of us like when people talk about us called ignorant or small-minded or foolish to believe in a God that sent his son to die for our sins. You know, none of us like that. But Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so that your joy will be full. The reason he's telling us these things, these things, He's telling us these things so we realize that if we endure the sorrow, 
There is joy. By faith in this life, in this joy, through the victory of the resurrection, in this joy, in the life to come, that Jesus has in store for all those who have put their faith in Jesus by his grace and live obedient in response to his love for them. It's because of the joy that we can endure the sorrow. Why does it say that Jesus could endure the work of the cross? Why does it say that he made it through all that hate, through that the flogging and the beating and the crucifixion and the ridicule? It says he did it because of the joy that was set before him. So I want you guys to hear today, yes, there will be sorrow in this life. There will be even more sorrow if you follow Jesus and follow the convictions and the teachings of Jesus and live a life in imitation of Jesus. You'll have more sorrow at times, but your joy will be even fuller when you hold on through the sorrow. So the example they use in this text, is they, they use the example of childbirth. So, my wife got pregnant three months after we got married. It wasn't something we planned. The truth is, I don't even know if I would have had a kid yet <laughs> if we didn't have Italian. She got pregnant after three months of marriage. I might have milked the thing, if I'm honest with you. So it was a big surprise to me when she told me at work, I was in a trench where you guys know I'm an electrician, and I got the news over the phone, and there was a two-by-four that was sticking out on top of a telephone pole. I got up, whacked my head, because I was just so like, what? What'd you say? Got up, whacked my head, was stressed out of my mind. I came home. I shared the news with Joe Vec. If you guys know Joe Vec, he started crying, and it wasn't because he was happy. He was stressed out, man. He went in the hall. I said, Joe, you crying? He said, no, man. Just, uh, you know, and Nancy trying to tell me he's moved that he's having a grandchild. I'm like, no, he's stressed. And we were both so stressed. We had to go pick up uh, something at someone's house, and we drove there with Natalie. And Natalie was just sitting there. Me and Joe said nothing. I felt like I was on a verge of an anxiety attack, and I was just playing stone cold. And my wife said, years later when I told her, she said, well, man, you played that off good. It was a joyous nine months, but there was a, it was very strenuous. Now, I want to make sure I make the point that it was more strenuous on my wife than me because she was carrying the baby. But as a husband, as a, a guy getting ready to be a dad, you start to say, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a father. I'm 25 years old. I feel like I can barely take care of myself. I don't play video games. And... That season of my life, I got into Lord of the Rings video games just to get my mind off of the stress. So here I am. I'm ready to be a dad. I'm 25 years old. This was 10 years ago. And I'm playing video games to get my mind off the stress. It was a stressful and, and hard time. I remember looking at Natalie and saying, man, this is, this is rough. When we were getting ready for it. She made him go to those foolish classes where you learn to breathe. And I didn't breathe right. The he, he, who, and ha. And I was doing everything bathroom, uh, bathroom, everything backwards in the um, delivery room. But the anxiety I felt and the stress Natalie went through, it was serious. Two times, false alarm at the hospital. I don't know if everyone does that, but we went to the hospital twice. This is time. It's not the time. Then it happened in the middle of the night textbook, her water breaks in the bed. I said, it's game on. I've never been so stressed out in my life. The anticipation of driving that 
explorer over to the hospital. I can't even explain. I felt like I was out of my body. I felt like I was next to the car driving. I was so stressed out. And even more now that we get in there, she's feeling all the, this type of pain. And I'm like, it's the middle of the night for our first one, Talia. And I'm saying, I can't sleep. I'm not going to sleep. So I'm up. I'm doing the breathing exercise backwards. Everything's, you know, but I was good. And I was, when it was game time, I got serious. I was stressed out. When it came time, I turned it on. But now that's going through all this pain, the guy comes in to give her the epidural, and he gives it too much. She just looks at me and goes, I like how this feels. This feels good. I love it. And I said, oh, my goodness, I'm going to lose my wife. And, you know, I'd rather be feeling pain because now, and they were all stressed out. They're coming, trying to regulate the stuff. You know, for you guys don't know, we're all adults here. you got to hold a leg. I guess this is new and modern. I'm holding leg. She's laboring. You've got to be there with her. You know, the baby's head starts to come out. And Nancy goes, I won't say it. I got this from my mother-in-law. So it was a stressful, but she get, you give me the okay? So Natalie's stressed out. Talia's head starts to come out. Then her head goes back in. Nancy goes, oh, my God, I went back in. So Natalie goes, what, what? We're all stressed out in there, right? I'm just telling you, this wasn't like, let's go have some fun and have some labor. This was a sorrowful time. This was a stressful time. One point, Natalie said, I can't do it. I got like I was in the middle of a, you know, a baseball game. I said, you got to do it. And she said, I do. And like, it was, it got serious in there, right? So we're going, all this stress, the doctors are checking the thing. Is the baby all right? The heartbeat, nine months, stressful, sorrowful time that you wouldn't sign up for. Unless you knew the joy that was at the finish line. Unless when my baby girl came out and the pain subsided, I got to hold her, I looked into her eyes, Natalie got to hold her, and all of a sudden everything was joy. We have a baby. Your first baby. I was blown away. Number one, I was a paranoid dad. I stayed up the first night because she got some stuff in her lungs that they had to clear out, and I was counting breaths the first night, right? You're just so thankful for this baby. You're watching over this baby. You're joyful. You've never kissed a creature this much. I just kissing the baby, loving the baby. Every time you come home, you see this baby. You It's unbelievable. Why do you endure that sorrow? Why do you endure that pain? Why do you endure that stress? Because soon you know that your sorrow will turn into joy. That all the stress that we endured, we would have this loving girl, Talia, that I could hold, that I could be with, that we were so joyful. She brings so much joy into my life. She's the sweetest little girl. And I'm talking about Talia because first. that was our first experience. Care is sweet in her own way. Now she is a sweet little girl, but you got two different personalities. But when I got this first baby, Talia, I remember thinking, wow, that was worth it. That was worth it going through all that stuff. And, um, you know, I got sentimental even when you think about the joy that she's brought into my life. The first move I ever took to was Happy Feet. When it came out, and she used to say, Patty Feet, I'm going to see Patty Feet. And so I'm looking through the guide the other day and I see Happy Feet. And there's moments... As a parent, sometimes, if you don't watch yourself, you might break down and just start weeping as your kids start getting older. Like, I had to get a hold of myself, so I said, man, I'm laying in bed, no one's around. I might start weeping right here, because I just thought about the past nine years of raising my daughter, but my sorrow 
turned into joy. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples, yes, in their context, they would be hated. He would be leaving them. They would have to preach a tough gospel that the world did not hear. want to hear. But your sorrow would turn into joy because they would see the resurrected Jesus. They would see him again. Not only would they see the resurrected Jesus, they had some secondary meanings that they would see Jesus when he returned and restored all things. They would see him in heaven when he had paradise waiting for them. So I know there's a lot of pain in this world. I know there's a lot of pain in our lives. I mean, I shared with my home group a few weeks ago, it just seemed like one week, it was a tough week where it seemed like I just heard of so much brokenness. Yeah, there was just a lot of brokenness. Without getting into too much detail, I came to my whole group and I said, man, I've wept a few times this week because I'm just thinking about things different families and people are going through, losing loss, losing loved ones, losing children. You think about the stuff that's even going on with the bombings and stuff that's going on in Oklahoma and all those things. You think, man, there's a lot of sorrow. But the gospel refreshes us with joy by faith in it. You are going to experience sorrow, but we can by faith experience joy when we put faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that any pain you go through, any sorrow you go through, is in God's sovereign plan to make you more like Jesus, to get you ready for heaven, to make you more a proclaimer of the gospel, to make you more holy. Jesus, everything, your sorrow, your pain, your tears, will turn into joy. That's why I want to say, ultimately, in the end, in the short life, short, please hear it short, Your sorrow is going to turn into joy. So let's turn to John 16, 16 through 24. And I'm proud of you guys. We've stayed in the Gospel of John. We're almost there. We're going to finish in August. And you guys have been faithful to listen all the way through. We're going to make it through our first whole book of the Bible. Then I'm going to put like a 50-chapter book on you next year. Make you get real stressed out. Three years later, we finish. See who can make it through. So the first verse, it says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again in a little while, you will see me. So, let's keep Talia as part of the theme. Anyone who has kids, you know that sometimes when you leave, what do they do? They don't want you to leave. Talia never wanted me to leave the house and she'd be, when I'm pulling down the driveway, she'd be in that screen door looking, just weeping. <laughs> da, da. And I'd feel like a horrible human being. The only thing that would console her if I says, I'm going to be back. You're going to see me again. It's not going to be too long. Dud is coming back. I just got to run and do this, and then you're going to see me again. In the same way Jesus is saying to his disciples, you will see me again. He has just told them, you will be hated. The world is going to reject you. Basically, he keeps alluding to the fact that he's going to be murdered. And he's not going to be with them. They need to know that they will see him again, and they will see him again soon. So once a year, I watch a soldier video where it's all these soldiers coming home and seeing their family. 
My wife hates when I watch it. Because I start to get teary-eyed, and she gets teary-eyed. So last night, for some reason, someone put something on Facebook and led me to this video again. And you see all these people who are on duty, away from their family, away from their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, coming home. And I'm telling you guys, look at it on YouTube, 13 million views, it, it, it moves your heart. Like dads surprising their daughters coming in the classroom. You know, sons surprising their moms and the responses of everyone. Jumping on everyone's neck. I haven't seen you. It's unbelievable. It will make you cry unless there's something wrong with you. And if you don't cry during this thing, please come talk to me. I need to give you some pastoral counsel. The reason I say that is because the disciples need to know that Jesus is going away and that he will see them in a little while. He's talking specifically about the fact that they will see him resurrected. Understand, they have to go through watching the person they love the most get murdered publicly. Could you imagine watching the person you love the most murdered publicly? They need to hear that you will see me again. Listen, you're not going to see me. They're going to put me in the grave. But you will see me again at the resurrection. And when they did see him, they were running to him. They were joyous. I'm sure it far exceeded even some of the soldier videos that I watched. He's assuring them that they will see him again. Now there's a flip side to that coin. Imagine you lose someone and they say you'll never see them again. Does your sorrow turn into joy? No, your sorrow stays sorrow. But when you're going to see someone again, when he's going to be resurrected, when he's going to come again, when he's going to restore all things, your sorrow turns into joy. So he's saying these things so their joy may be full. So they can make it through the season of sorrow they're about to experience, watching their Savior get murdered publicly, that their joy, there is joy at the finish line. In typical disciple fashion, they have no idea what he's talking about. Let's read verse 17 and 18. So, so some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. Again in a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. So I can't expound on that too much. It's pretty straightforward. They hear what Jesus says, and they don't ask him a question this time. They're talking to each other saying, what is he talking about? I have no idea what he's talking about. Jesus hears what they're saying, and he explains the situation. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, If this is what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So I want to take a few things out of those verses. First he says they're going to weep and lament. Do you guys know what lamenting is? Lamenting is like deep, passionate grief. The kind of stuff that happens when David lost his child. He went in there and he had sinned against God and the punishment of that sin with Bathsheba was he was going to lose his first child. He went into deep intercession and said, God, please save my child. Please cause my child to live. God decided that it was good and right and just to allow his child to die. And David, David went and he lamented. He threw sackcloth on. That's serious when you throw sackcloth on. And he went in and he for three days just wept. 
He didn't eat. He didn't sleep. He lamented passionately over his son that he had lost. It was deep. Then after those three days, he got up and said, I'm done lamenting. It's time to move on. So think of that kind of stuff that's going on with the disciples. That kind of weeping that's going on then when Jesus dies. We don't hear too much about their reaction in between three days from when he was resurrected, but I guarantee you there's some weeping and lamenting going on because they had lost their Savior. He had been killed publicly. Now, it's one thing to watch the person you love the most get killed publicly. It's another thing to have people rejoicing over it. So everyone hear the story of Christopher Stevens? Um, I think it was September 2012. He was a U.S. ambassador to Libya. And some radical extremists went in there. They killed him. They dragged his body through the streets. And they rejoiced on the fact that, over the fact they killed him. So you have two sides of that coin once again. You have a family and friends of Christopher Stevens that are grieving. Deep, lamenting, weeping, grieving. Then you have a whole group of people who are shouting victoriously and rejoicing over the fact that this man has been killed. Jesus said the world is going to rejoice. Not only was Jesus publicly murdered, there were people cheering about it. There are people who in dinner after saying, we finally got them and they're rejoicing over it. Imagine watching someone murder someone you love and celebrating that murder while you're grieving. How heavy is that? That's what the disciple about to go through. Jesus says, your sorrow is going to turn into joy. Once again, he's saying these things so that the joy will be full. Verse 21, When a woman is given birth, she has sorrow because of her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So he uses the example that I used in the intro. When people looked in the Old Testament, when they looked at childbirth, it always was explaining the resurrection. When people thought of childbirth, they were thinking of life coming in. People going through sorrow, and then there was life. He's saying the same way. You're going to go through that sorrow. You're going to go through the pain. You're going to go through the labor. You're going to go through the stress. But your joy is going to far exceed the sorrow that you experience. And your sorrow is going to turn into joy. Because of the resurrection. Now let's turn verse 22 and 23. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. But I'm sorry, 23. And that day you'll be asked nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Does everyone understand that all your prayers should be Trinitarian prayer? That you should be praying to God the Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We do not just pray to the Holy Spirit or just pray to Jesus or just pray to the Father. Jesus is saying now this is going to be Trinitarian prayer. Before they had just prayed to God the Father, right? They prayed to God the Father or they just asked Jesus because he's on earth for something. Now he's saying anything you ask in my name, 
the Father will answer your prayers when you ask it according to my will. That is powerful, powerful stuff. That should call your sorrow to turn into joy. How many people struggle with the fact that you think that your prayers aren't being answered by God? Your prayers are and will be answered by God because of the person and work of Jesus. Anything you ask in the name of Jesus Christ according to the will of Father will be answered now because of the power of the resurrection and the power of the gospel. Your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, we don't have a Savior that can't empathize with us, right? Someone thinks that de deity or God should not have to suffer. He's above suffering. He should never have to come to earth to suffer for us. And some of us get caught up in the fact that there is so much sorrow in this life. I mean, guys, I can't explain to you how many people I talk to are in deep depression, deep anxiety, deep grief. And they allow that sorrow to consume and that sorrow stays sorrow. They turn to other things. So many people turn to drugs. Some people use illegal drugs and some people overuse prescribed drugs. And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with prescription drugs, but some people overuse those sometimes to deal with the sorrow. Some people drink it away. Instead of turning the gospel, they say, I have so much sorrow now, I'm going to drink it away. A lot of men turn to, there's adults in this room, when they have sorrow, they turn to pornography. I need something to ease my sorrow, I'm going to turn to pornography to ease my sorrow. Some people turn to other things like gossip and, and drama, and they turn to other things to try to ease their pain, to get their mind off of their sorrow. Restoration Road, do not turn to any of those things because those things will leave you in your sorrow. Your sorrow will stay sorrow. Your sorrow will not turn into joy. When you turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ, your sorrow turns into joy. That's why I'm always heavy with you guys. Rehearse the gospel daily. When you're tempted to do other things to ease your sorrow, turn to Jesus. Remember his deep, passionless passionate, ferocious love for you. Remember that. You were meant to be loved by God. You were meant to be in relationship with God. When you are not in regular communion, relationship, in a healthy one with God, you're going to feel that sorrow, and that sorrow is going to overwhelm you. And it's going to cause you to turn to other things to ease that pain. But when you turn to the gospel, and you endure the sorrow for the joy that is set before you, there is nothing Nothing like it. And I just want to read some scripture to you that reinforces that. In Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How many of you, and I want to encourage you to do this, when you're going through deep sorrow, depression, anxiety, worry about your life, you meditate on what God has in store. That will make things pass away. You say, these present sufferings, yes, you're going to suffer. But when you meditate on the gospel and what Jesus has in store for you, it's going to be unbelievable. I, I, you try to fathom heaven. I try to get my mind around it once in a while. But I, sometimes I say, I just want to be surprised. I know it's going to be good. And I know a few things. I'm thinking I'm going to have no allergies in heaven. And I'm going to be able to have a dog for the first time. Is that all right to think that restoration road? 
I had a dream once. I was playing with some sort of dog when I was younger, and it felt so real. Ever had a dream so real? And I wasn't sneezing. My eyes weren't puffy. I didn't need the inhaler. And I'm hoping heaven's going to be like that. Heaven is going to be an unbelievable place where you are going to be loved by God. Where you're going to be able to worship God with no sorrow, no tears, no crying, no death, no loss. Unbelievable. It's worth suffering. It's worth sorrow in this life to obtain that in the next. It's unbelievable. It's good stuff. And going more than what I was saying, we have a high priest who empathizes with our sorrow. Many people want to create their own God that doesn't experience sorrow, but let me tell you, our God, the one and only God, experienced sorrow on our behalf. So, he's actually called the man of sorrows. Could you imagine that? Son of God, the Savior of the world, referred to as a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53.3 He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and esteemed of God. So much more stuff in that chapter. Can you imagine the Son of God was called the man of sorrows? Sometimes it's children and children of sorrows. But our sorrows will turn into joy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection. And to some of those who experience sorrow now, I don't know what everyone's going through, but I'm sure we live in a fallen world this Sorrow all over us, this pain all over us, all around us. Turn to God in prayer. Ask it according to the name of Jesus. Don't give up and say, my prayers aren't going to be answered. You stay at the throne of God. You call him Father. You will believe that he will answer your prayers. He will turn your sorrow into joy. Believe that. And finally, comfort those who experience sorrow. The Holy Spirit's called the Comforter. We need to comfort people who are in sorrow. And it's not always helpful to tell someone, just get out of it. This is what I want to do. Too much testosterone in my system. Stop being sorrowful. Get up. Strap them up. I mean, I'll talk to a pastor like that, but you guys, I can't talk to you like that. <laughs> we talk to each other like that. It's not okay to just say someone, just do it. You need to come to where they are. You need to feel their pain. You need to love them. You need to comfort them in their sorrow. I was driving down Route 1 the other day. I'm talking to Natalie on the phone. All of a sudden, there's a five-car crash in front of me. Five cars. I'm about 100 feet back. I stopped. I was on the phone with Natalie, yeah, and I got off the phone. I said, I'm all right, but I pulled over and pulled over to the side. And it looked like everyone was alright, but it was pretty bad. I'm talking Coswell up on hoods. It was bad. Another guy, like, I didn't even understand how it happened. But there were like five cars that were demolished. So there's this one young lady who got out of the car and was just weeping. So I pulled over the truck and I just ran across Route 1. And I went over there. And I didn't want to make her uncomfortable. I'm not coming. Come on, get me in. Get in here. Get in. Alright, come on. I'm not going to make her uncomfortable. But I wanted her to know that I was there for her without making her feel uncomfortable. So, I mean, weeping. I remember when Natalie got in a bad car accident, and it was a, a bad one, and she said that <laughs> the guy that hit her with the truck, he came up and she just hugged him. And I remember her crying and weeping because she was so shaken by the incident, and it, she was so caught off guard, and 
You're thinking, I could have lost my life. I wasn't ready for this. All these things happened. So I'm asking, do you need anything? Is there anything I can do for you? Uh, how can I help? Can I get you? And she said, no, I'm fine. But what made me feel better was another woman came running across the street to give her more feminine comfort. And she came across the street and she was comforted. She was one of those women that seemed like they have it to get. She reminded me of my Aunt Karen. Like she, she was in the medical field. She was a nurse and just knew how to comfort someone. You know when someone knows how to, she's rubbing her back. She's not overdoing it. She's not underdoing it. She's confident in it. She's saying it's going to be all right. And I was so glad in that moment that there was someone in this world that was there to comfort her through her sorrow. There's people in your life that need to be comforted through the gospel. They just need to be loved. They need to be heard. You know, and sometimes it's, it's hard because of our nature to not want to listen to people in their sorrow. They say, get out of it. Stop it. Strap your boots. No. Love them. Be there. Comfort them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it be said of Restoration Road that we comfort people who are in sorrow. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. We want people to comfort us in our sorrow. The same way, let's be there for them. Restoration Road. Please say me today. Your sorrow will soon turn into joy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything you're going through, it's for the purposes and the glory of Christ that will turn into joy. Any suffering you experience in this life will be made up to you tenfold in the next. If you sacrificed having a house, believe me, you have a great house in heaven. If you sacrificed other things, material things in this life, you'll have great things in heaven. If you sacrifice popularity, believe me, you're going to be popular in heaven. We'll all like each other. Believe it. Your song will soon turn into joy. Believe that the gospel is true. Amen.